This is a Defocus Media production. What's up, guys? Thanks for joining me for another episode of the podcast. Before we dive into this one, I wanted to give you a really quick heads up. We had a little bit of technical difficulties with this one, a little bit of audio and video glitches as we recorded. Uh, I learned my lesson. This is why I'm trying to get a videographer anytime I'm recording in person, but this was me trying to record on my phone, on my laptop, and try to put, put it all together. For the most part, I think the quality is pretty good. Now, the last few minutes, please bear with me. The audio gets a little echoey. The video gets a little choppy, but you can still hear us and see us, um, so bear with us. It's a great episode. It's a great interview with uh, Dr. Kerry Salzberg and Dr. Steve Vargo from a little while back when they were in town here in Vancouver for the OSI Western Summit, and they kind of reviewed the two lectures that they had done and gave kind of the highlights of their lectures and the important takeaways uh, for all of us, uh, whether you were there or not there, I think it's a nice little review of what they were talking about. And of course, they're two amazing people in the eye care industry that we can always learn from. So again, bear with me on the technical glitches. I think you're still going to be able to hear us just fine and, and see us if you're watching this on YouTube, just fine. So hopefully enjoy it. And uh, here's the episode. All right. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the 2020 Podcast, Canada's number one optometry podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for taking the time to join me here. And here, I've been saying this a lot in recent episodes, here is different. If you're watching on YouTube, you're going to see that this is not in my home office with my usual backdrop here. You can hopefully read what it says on this banner that we are here with the OSI group. We are at the Western Summit at the wonderful River Rock Hotel and Casino in Richmond, B.C., just outside of Vancouver. Um, and I am here with two amazing guests who have been on the podcast before, and I'm very fortunate to have them here again. I'll introduce them just in a second. Before I do that, I want to let you know that this is going to be the first in hopefully a long series of collaborative podcasts that we do, the 2020 Podcast and the Academy of Ophthalmic Education. Mr. Ali Khan has been generous enough to create this collaboration and share his roster of amazing speakers, but also all these other resources that they have so we can share the knowledge and all the amazing information that the speakers provide with a wider audience. So I'm really grateful and, and really honored to have this collaborative series of podcasts. And again, the two guests that I have with me today, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll recognize their names and faces. Dr. Steve Vargo, who has been on the podcast a couple of times. And today, Steve was talking about uh, patient communication and how to get that patient or even your staff or anybody else you're communicating with to the yes answer that we're all looking for. And then, of course, Dr. Kerry Salzberg uh, from Toronto, Ontario, who is here speaking on profitability, KPIs, and how to differentiate your practice and how to succeed in today's market. So we're going to touch on some of those topics in today's episode, uh, but make sure you, you know connect with these guys as we go through. We'll kind of say it a few times, where to find them, how to talk to them. But uh, first of all, why don't we do a real quick intro? I want you guys to tell me how you have been finding the OSI Summit, the Western Summit, and, and the value that you're finding here today. Yeah, thanks, Harbir, and thanks for having me. Um, I've just been here for the day. I presented, but I listened to a great presentation on how to improve capture rate. And uh, I, I think having these forums are so important for, for independent eye care practitioners and their staff because it's, a, it's a, an opportunity to network, to have conversations about the trials and tribulations of practice, what's working, what's not working, and just to be able to communicate with other doctors that you're, you're facing the same challenges. Mm -hmm. and, and really, we're in a profession that there's so many opportunities. How do we capture that? How do we do that seamlessly? And again, having these types of forums, are, I think, are so important to get that education out and then to apply 
apply that in your practice. I'll say that from from my my own perspective, I'll agree with you. Echo that being in the in the the audience, you know, watching your talk, watching Steve's talk, it, it's it's interesting to see how many people are agreeing and how many people are on the same page, right? And and when you ask a question, it, how many people are having this difficulty? You realize most people in the room are putting their hand up. Or when you asked, you know, list some of the challenges that we're having, how many people were kind of echoing the same challenges? Um, and it's it's nice. It's almost you don't want everyone to be facing challenges, but it's nice to know that you're not the only one. Yeah, absolutely. Just being able to talk about it. We practice in a 10 by 10 box. We have no idea what's going on in the real world. Um, and it's nice to know that we we share the same problems and and having that ability to talk to people about ways to overcoming these things. Yeah. Um, I, I think having these networking and, and live in-person meetings is so important. Love it. Steve, how about you? Yeah, I, I would agree definitely with the second everything Carrie said. I think the opportunity to come together live and my presentation, so today it was two hours. The first hour was basically me presenting and the second hour was more workshop style where I threw different topics out there and had them talk around uh, their, their individual tables and then share with one another. And I, I think you get so much out of that when you hear from other doctors. And I, I almost somewhat selfishly do it that way because I learn a lot as well. And I find that there is a lot of agreement. One one thing, whenever I, I do that workshop style format, people will come out. It's it's almost therapeutic because a lot of times people will say, well, I didn't realize so many other people were having those same challenges. Right. What's interesting is even when they disagree on something, maybe how to handle a certain situation, they still hear from other people who handle it differently. Mm -hmm. And you can learn in that too. You may think, I always handle it this way, but you hear from somebody else who had success doing it a different way. So I, I think there's a, a ton of value that comes with with this live format. Yeah, I love that. And it it's a it's a combination of you hear something completely different than what you're doing and you think, okay, I can implement that. Or you hear someone saying almost the exact same thing that you are thinking or you've been practicing and it gives you the confidence of, okay, well, I must be on the right mm -hmm. track. Right. So it's a nice kind of feeling to have that. Um, and not, not necessarily in such a large format either. Often when you're in a large lecture hall type of a situation, which you end up being in some of the bigger, bigger conferences, you don't get that intimate sort of uh, relationship, that intimate kind of conversation. So, uh, well, I appreciated both of your talks. They were both fantastic, you know, sitting around with the people that I was sitting with, everybody was complimenting, uh, different fact facets of your talks. And so they were really valuable. I think you know that already. I'm sure the surveys will say the same thing. Um, but I wanted to take a couple of those, uh, you know, a couple of topics that you talked about, put them together for, for a little bit of an interview here. First off, um, profitability. So, Carrie, you have a big, busy practice and you talked about how it hasn't always been that way, but you've uh, paid, paying attention to the metrics, um, knowing where you are and where you want to go has brought you to where you are now. Steve, you're no longer a practicing optometrist. For those of you who don't know, Steve doesn't see patients anymore, but he has been in a um, in a consulting role. He writes books, he speaks, he's extremely knowledgeable on the idea of metrics, KPIs, practice growth. So uh, two amazing people to have this conversation with. So I'm going to give you kind of general questions because I know you guys can run with it. But let's say two or three things that you think maybe mistakes that you've seen a lot of practitioners making or two or three things that you just want to share with practitioners out there to help them improve their profitability and the success of their practice. Well, I think that when we get out of school, we are, are uh, you know, it's so important for us to, to raise the money we've spent on, on uh, schooling costs. 
And we lose sight of, we clinically, we're very sound, but in terms of business acumen, we just don't have it. Mm -hmm. We're thrust into this clinical practice. And I think that's a failure of the schools. Uh, what I'd like for practitioners to do is not just wait to the end of the year to get their financial P&L statements to see how well they've been doing, but to track that on a, on a weekly, quarterly, monthly, yearly period to really understand the mechanics of their business. They have to understand what their expenses, what their um, revenue streams are, and, and to be proactive as opposed to reactive. Uh, I think a lot of people run their practices from intuition and gut feelings. Mm -hmm. I did that the first 20 years of my practice. I reached a ceiling where I said, look, I'm not growing the way I wanted to. I don't know what I don't know. So I took the opportunity to join OSI and, and, and some U.S. buying groups or U.S. networking groups mm -hmm. to really share ideas, to collaborate, to realize that I wasn't the only one that was having this, these problems and they're solution-based, they're not problem-based. So here's the problem, here's the solution. But at the crux of the matter, it's you have to know your numbers. You have to know, is are you running a profitable business? Uh, what can you take out as an owner? Um, what your, your cost of goods should be, what your staff costs are. Until you know those things, uh, you're just doing it based on feeling. And uh, unfortunately, that doesn't always work to your advantage. You mentioned something in the talk, you know, it may have worked in the past, and sometimes if you're doing it, it may work just by sheer luck. But the fact that there are so many competitors in the market who are basing all of their actions on these metrics, and they're doing it in an incredibly detailed way, um, with you know maybe they have more powerful tools than we do, but they are doing it, and we're not, we're kind of hoping we just get there. There's no way we can really compete with that. I thought that was actually kind of an eye-opening you know message that you you portrayed today. Um, you also shared a story right in the beginning about you going down to Texas. I wonder if you could give me the quick, short version of that. So uh, we had a networking meeting in Dallas. I'd never been to Dallas and, and uh, my brother was turning 50 and we brought uh, my brother's friend and my dad, who's also an optometrist down to Texas to do the Southern hospitality way of life, which is eating barbecue, uh, going to a bull riding contest and going skeet shooting. And so um, being a city boy, who's never really shot a gun. We went to a Dallas range and uh, we said, we'd like to shoot a, a, you know, a shotgun. And she goes, what kind of gauge? And I said, I don't know. Are there, are there other <laughs> gauges? <laughs> she goes, you know what? I'm going to give you a 20 gauge shotgun, which I found out to be, you know, kind of like the teenager shotgun. So you don't blow off your shoulder. Um, and uh, I said, so what do we do now? She goes, well, you can go to the range and, and uh, you know, press the buttons and the skeets go out. Um, the, the, the clay pigeons. I said, well, we've never done this before. You know, so she goes, oh, you want a lesson? So she gave us a lesson on how to load the ammunition and to make sure that you don't jam the gun. And she goes on your way. And I said, there's no waiver. There's not like, is there a supervisor out there? Not in Texas. Yeah, not in Texas. Texas right. Uh, so no barriers to entry in that, that, that market. So long story short is we had five guys shooting guns at pigeons and not hitting anything. And a guy comes down with a cowboy hat and a toothpick. He reminded me of the guy from Yellowstone, Rick Wheeler, or whatever his <laughs> name is. Yeah, rip, 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 rip. And um, he says, you boys need some help. And I said, we certainly do. And he says, well, you know, when you're shooting, I see that you're closing your eyes. You're shooting blindly. And you're also not tracking the target. So you've got to continue with the gun. So just those two tips turned us from being complete amateurs to being, you know, hitting two out of the five targets and everybody was able to hit this target. So it just goes to show you a little bit of knowledge can get you a long way. Right. And, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of similarities in optometric practice that we're also shooting blindly and not tracking our targets. So mm. it's very important to benchmark, very important to look at our KPIs. Uh, just having that skill set 
will grow your practice. If you measure it, it will always improve, guaranteed, but you got to measure it. Love that. So um, how about on the, in the same, same vein, same topic, if you could share, Steve, a couple of things um, that you, again, things maybe you've seen mistakes that people have made. If they correct those, it makes a profound difference in their business or just a few pieces of advice that you'd like to share. Yeah, maybe we'll just build on the KPI aspect because I'm, I'm sure Carrie will agree with this too. It's, it's, obviously, it's very important to know your numbers and to be mindful of those. And, you know, that'll tell you areas you need to improve and, and where you're ranking relative to other practices. But also, it helps you determine what you want to drive. And I'll give you an example. I I get a lot of inquiries and calls from offices that want to set up a bonus program for their staff, some kind of incentive program. And they really get hung up on what the actual goal is. What's the bonus? And um, I'll ask, well, that's fine. Okay, if we, if, just, if we grow 10%, then everybody gets, you know, something basic like that. And I'll say, well, that's fine. What? do you want the staff to do differently that's going to drive those numbers? Mm. Because that number is really just a, a lagging indicator on whether or not what you're doing is working or not. Right. So I think we a, a big mistake is just dangling that care out there for staff and assuming that their productivity is going to go through the roof just right. because you offered them a bonus. Sometimes that's the case, but a lot of times it's not. And I hear over and over from doctors who say, I offered a bonus based on some metric that we chose and it didn't have any difference, uh, it didn't create any difference in productivity. So I think it's really important, important it's probably more of a, a leadership issue in making sure the staff is clear on the things that they need to do. Setting those clear expectations on, on what they need to do differently that's going to drive those outcomes. And I, I just add, um, just sharing the vision, what's your vision and, and having a buy-in from your other team members so what, what are the deliverables that you expect or expectations, but this is where we are, this is where we want to go. Because if it's not shared, it just never happens. Yeah. And it, 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 especially if you expect change and they have no you know, roadmap to get there, it's just gonna, it's gonna fail. You mentioned the buy-in from, from the staff, and we've talked about this before, and I, I think that's really important as well. In terms of, it, it is important that we set expectations, but at the same time, giving the staff a voice in these change. That's the other thing I always stress is because a lot of times business owners, doctors, their instinct is to go to the staff and say, these are the things you need to do. Well, that's, you know, setting expectations is fine, but at the same time, I'm a pretty big fan of looking at the staff and saying, what are your ideas? Here's the issue. Here's where we're trying to get to. Let me hear your ideas on how you'd like to do that. It doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything. It doesn't mean you can green light everything. But when you make the stat, when you give them a voice and give them a sense of control over the outcomes, I think they're much more, um, much more likely to follow through. There's a, a study I, I, I use in, in some of my lectures that shows the number one reason that, you know, staff will, are, are not, or why new hires don't work out. And, the number one of two reasons, it, it comes to a lack of coachability, but the number one of two reasons, they don't like your ideas and they think their ideas are better. So why fight that? Why not just give them a voice in the process? But I think you'll find a lot more productivity and they, they rise to the challenge a lot more when they feel like they have some sense of control over the outcomes. Right. At least they feel like they're being asked and they're involved in the process versus just being told. Being told what to do. Yeah, that's it. where you're going to get the if they don't like your idea and if you're telling them what to do it's it's always a slippery slope yeah starting to feel more and more like 
the movie Inception is something that we need to learn how to do. It's like how to plant ideas in our patients' heads and our staff's head. And that might not be legal. But anyway, um, I'll take that for a second. Total uh, tangent there. But regarding that, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, staff and associate doctors and one getting the buy-in or what's the challenge? You know, a lot of people have turnover or a hard time finding good people. Um, what's the importance of building a strong culture and how do you go about that in terms of you could talk about profitability or you could just talk about people buying into what you kind of foresee or, or plan for your business? I think it's important just to, you know, talk about your vision. Where do you see yourself now? Where do you see yourself going? Um, I also think it's very important to be transparent. So in our office, we're very transparent about our, our P&L statement. Mm. Um, all too often, staff see a big uh, you know, practice making millions of dollars and they think it's going to my pocket. I want them to be aware of X number of dollars going to the tissue paper and the pens and, mm. the, and just to turn the lights on right. and the inventory. So I think that having that transparency really gets a better understanding of what it takes to run a business. And, um, you know, it's, it's not all about just the top line revenue. You got to look at all your other expenses in terms of associates. You got to make sure that they, they realize that it's really up to them to decide how much money they want to make. You know, associates sometimes get hung up on the percentage that they're going to make, but you don't bank percentage points, you bank dollars. Mm. And what I've tried to do in my practice is to create a, a blank canvas to give them all the things that they need, whether it's telephone staff, contact lens staff, equipment, uh, inventory, everything's done for them so that they can generate the most that they can. But they have to empower themselves and they have to you know, have ownership of what they do um, in terms of their revenue generation. Um, I think a lot of the time, you know, associates nowadays, because they're in demand, they have expectations of making a certain amount of money. And young associates, I just, I just don't feel are at that, that, that stage where they can generate, they have the clinical acumen or the business acumen to, to generate that kind of money. So I think it's important to train your, your staff, to train your associates the way you envisioned your practice to be. And if there's a buy-in, great. If there's not, maybe they're not the right fit for you. Gotcha. That's a... Uh... That openness, that transparency, that's probably uncomfortable for a lot of people, right? I would imagine, uh, you know, showing the, the P&L statement like that, like, here's where we spent all our money. Here's where, you know, how much we paid out generally to our ODs or our staff and all these kinds of things. Um, do you recall what your uh, annual cost of toilet paper is? Our annual cost of toilet paper? No, our paper towel costs, I can tell you, is oh, about six, oh. 600 bucks. Toilet paper is now supplied by the building, so I don't take oh, care wow. of it. Yeah, That's but in terms of my my rent, it's it's buried in there, and I'm probably paying two times more than I should. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why your rent is like fifty thousand a month, right? Okay, uh, Steve, you have a you have a mic already. Um, from your perspective, you know, we talked about this just a couple of months back when you came on the podcast. Uh, we were talking about burnout at the time, but you know, relevant to burnout was the importance of developing a strong culture. Um, you, you know, feel free to share some of the same notes as we talked about there. But what about on the side of um, profitability, building the business? Why is having a strong culture important? I don't. It's very dangerous to not have a strong culture these days in the marketplace that we're working in. As difficult as it is to hire and retain uh, staff, I think you, you almost have to be mindful of the culture that you're building and creating a good, good culture that people are going to want to stay in those roles. Mm. Otherwise, it's it's there's a lot of opportunities out there. So and we're seeing that more and more with, with high turnover in a lot of offices. We really can't, Kerry can't do it by himself. I mean, Kerry's really good at what he does, but he needs a team. And again, it, it, that comes back to leadership in terms of his ability and 
to a large degree, your manager's abilities. You know, when you, you start out cold, you have you and one other person, right? Maybe mm -hmm. two, but eventually you have seven, eight, 10, 12, 20 employees. Mm -hmm. So at some point management kicks in, but your ability to train a manager to deliver on all those things. Otherwise, all these business ideas and all the, the vision that you talk about becomes just ideas bouncing around in your head. You need to be able to translate that to the staff at, as well. And I'll, I'll just hit on the associate OD thing, because that comes up a lot. I think that's really important. It's a frustration for a lot of doctors that are producing at a certain level, right? They have more, more skin in the game because it is their practice. And I hear the frustration a lot of times when they feel like their associate is not producing at the level they should. Mm -hmm. But the question I'll often ask is, does your associate know what their production even is? And a lot of times the answer is no. Those conversations have never taken place. So I think it's, a, unless you're seeing two different completely types of patients. I mean, if, if one is seeing all the you know routine care and another one's doing myopia management, we probably see a disparity in, in those numbers, but apples and, you know, apples and oranges. Uh, but Seeing a similar patient base, I think there should be an expectation that there's, there's somewhat similar. And if it's not, I think the associate needs to know that so we can sit down. Let's have a discussion um, about why, you know, why the numbers are different. Let me help you. Let me better understand how you're talking to patients, communicating. Maybe let me give you some feedback, if I could, on, on, on what I do that drives the, the production that I get. And, and let's try to close that gap. But I think it's an uncomfortable conversation for both sides sometimes. So I understand it needs to be approached delicately, but it does need to happen. Otherwise, you can't really fault your associate for not producing at a level if they don't even know what that level is. That, I mean, you want to add to that? Yeah, just uh, again, it's about expectations and taking the time. You know, we all have busy lives, busy personal and professional lives, but to take that 20 minutes a day or and just kind of cycle around your associates. I have eight associates just to check in on them and see how they're doing, looking at their numbers on a daily basis and not being critical of them, but just asking yourself questions like, hey, what happened today that you, you know, you had 30% less revenue versus last Friday where you just blew it out of the park? Mm. Um, and and to to have that collaborative relationship where it's not about me telling you what to do, but it's like doing some fact finding, figuring out what's working, what's not. We had a doctor that had uh, some family issues and you could see it. It was reflected in their, their production, mm. uh, but we had an answer. We understand, we understood that because of this, this translated into this. Mm. All too often doctors look at their associates at the end of the year and go, Oh, you only produce this without the reflection of, you know, what got you there. And so I think to invest in your associates, to invest in your staff and to look at the why is super important. It's a very, real quick, a very delicate way of, of creating some accountability though as well. Cause you put it in the form of a question. You didn't go and say, hey, what's wrong with you? You're not producing at a certain level. You said, help me understand why the numbers are down. Now in general, people are not gonna wanna keep reporting back to their boss why they're underperforming. So just having those conversations creates that conversation where hopefully an associate will be more mindful if for no other reason than to avoid an awkward conversation. And at the same time, they are also proactive and they come to me and go, I, I had a stellar day. So they get excited mm. and they know that, you know, that's something that's going to that's going to have benefits to them, but also benefits to the practice. At the end of the day, the practice has to make money. If the practice does not make money, you can't have the right staff. You can't have the right equipment. You can't expand. You can't be a provider of of service excellence to your patient base. So I think that associate doctors realize it's not just about how much money they make, but what they're contributing to the practice. And the staff for that, for that part also do the same. 
It's a team approach. We have a bonus that we apply to the entire staff based on on outcomes. And it's like a game. You know, there's a great book. Um, uh, now I forget it. The Great Game of Business. Is that it? That's mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yeah. Um, and just these little games where it's almost like playing a pinball. You know, you score a million points, you're not getting a million dollars. But it's 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 having skin in the game and having these little contests and having the camaraderie and the, and the the team approach to really producing um, you know great numbers for your practice. And that's where I'm I'm kind of thinking the culture thing, right? So so at that buy-in from your doctors and your staff, they want to do better for not just for themselves, but that kind of holistic betterment of the entire practice. Sometimes, it, I mean, you, you've seemingly developed that in your practice. And I was telling you, actually, we're not quite there yet, right? We were having conversations, just to be totally transparent for the for sake of this conversation here, conversations with some of our associates. And they're thinking about, you know, well, we just want to make more money. Like, you know, how can you help me make more money? And I talked to them about, well, I can help you make more money by helping you, you know, sell more, do more treatments, you know, generate more revenue. But I can't just give you more money just because. Um, so where does uh, the the a strong culture overcome that desire for making more money? I think it comes down to your core values. You know, what is your why? Why are you there? If you're chasing money, if that's the goal, you'll never succeed. If you provide exemplary service and you follow your core principles and your values, the money will follow. And I think that there has to be a buy-in from your associates. If there's not that buy-in and it's only about money, you have the wrong associate. Um, because I've never seen an associate that's just super hungry for money. Actually, I have, and we had to let him go. Um, the, the, the consistency of, of treatment, the, the, the experience, the consistency of experience has to be uniform across the, product, uh, the, the practice. And if somebody's just there for the money, it's going to sour um, the experience. So I think everybody has to realize what is our goal? What do we want to provide to our patients? What do we want to provide to our staff? And how do we get there? And the money will always follow. Okay. So one last question to, to wrap this up. We, you talked about it in your presentation, Carrie. We can't just rely on just refraction. Yes, we are refractionists and we are selling glasses, but we have to do more than just that. In your opinion, what's the importance of or how do we compete with some of the other players in the market that are just simply relying on volume and selling glasses, how do independent optometrists survive or thrive, maybe more importantly, in that in this environment that we're currently in? I could spend an hour talking about this. I think that uh, retailing, as we know it, is not dead. Older retailing is. I think you have to be experiential. I think you have to create a wow and experience. Uh, you have to have the proper merchandising, the proper inventory. You have to know your market. And I think you have to differentiate yourself or you die. And, you know, the days of that my dad, when he was practicing, he was a one-stop shop. He was just, he did a refraction. He had glasses in a drawer because he wasn't allowed to sell glasses in the open. Um, those days are over. I think what's nice about independent optometry is we can pivot. We can create these services that we're interested in without um, being dictated by corporate culture. Um, but it's our opportunity. I think we have to find those things. We have to create opportunities as opposed to, being a victim and saying, oh, there's corporate optometry, there's online, you know, there's an opportunity, huge opportunities. Never in the, in the history of optometry have we had so many things that we can do. The world is our oyster. We just have to choose and choose what, you know, what is our life, basically. Yeah. I love the, the what you led with there. Retail is not dead. Old retail or boring retail is dead. And you said that in your presentation, that stuck with me because I'm thinking about my office. Now, our office is not old and I don't think anybody would walk in there and think it was old, but it might not be ex- exciting. Mm-hmm. 
right? The word boring, I'm afraid to say. I don't think we're boring, but I think we're not we're, we're not far away enough from the word boring, right? It's a little, yeah, nice, right? But we need to walk in and have a wow, like, like in your place. So uh, if you haven't seen Carrie's practice, Eyes on Shepherd, uh, don't make the same mistake I did. It's spelled S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D. You got it. Not shepherd like herding sheep. Um, Eyes on Shepherd in Toronto. It is a true retail experience. Um, I hope to actually set foot in there one day sometime soon. Um, see, please, from your perspective, uh, if you want to build on what Carrie said, or in general, uh, how do we survive, thrive uh, in the future when there's a lot of the other, you know, corporate entities or other entities that are relying on simply refraction optical sales? I think just continuing to be innovative. I mean, fortunately, we really do live in in or work in an industry that that has a lot of opportunities to differentiate yourself, and that even that can happen within retail. That's an interesting term, old retail it's going to continue to change as well. And I think that's going to be uh, very dangerous to people that, that don't make the changes that they need to make, but very exciting to those who do who do seek out and embrace those opportunities. One, one thing, I, the older I get, the more I realize that sex, success is really a, uh, it, it's a game of attrition. And it's a game mm. of hanging in there and not giving up. Most people don't succeed because they just give up. So just stay with it. Make some mistakes. Ride the ups and downs. Keep pushing forward. Keep learning. Keep growing. Um, keep taking risks. I, I think many ODs in this industry they're they're just afraid to take risks. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes the riskiest thing you do can do is play it safe. Mm -hmm. You can almost guarantee that you're not going to get ahead when you do that. So I think the future is exciting. It's scary. I get it, but it's also exciting because I think it's going to change a lot. And for the people that can embrace that. Um, otherwise, you're just going to be a dinosaur. Um, so, yes, take those chances that every dollar that you put in your practice will make you more of a return on investment than anything you can do outside of your practice, whether it's stock market, uh, buying fancy cars, investing well, in your What about Bitcoin? <laughs> Absolutely not Bitcoin. <laughs> Somebody got burned at Bitcoin, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, but, but I think one of the challenges that I would ask doctors to do is go to your local fancy mall and see what their what the retail trends are. I think in optometry offices, we're 15 years behind the time. Yeah. We're seeing fixtures that were kind of popular in the early 2000s. Go to a fancy mall, see how they're lighting up the store, seeing the, the merchandising, less is more. They're not throwing a thousand frames in your face. Mm. They're creating scarcity. They're creating, instead of a commodity, they're creating something that has value. And I think that uh, just, you know, it's in your backyard, go to a retail uh, store, find out how they're doing and try to emulate that the best you can. That's great advice. Thank you very much. Okay, we should wrap this up. But before before I do, I want to ask a couple of quick questions. Well, one, which is where can people find you? What else do you want people to know about you specifically, your business, what you do? So Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Yeah, so I work with a company called IDOC and uh, I do a lot of speaking and things like this, do a lot of consulting. Uh, you can find out more about me. I, I have a website, drstevebarco.com. You mentioned the book, so I'll, I'll follow up. It's, uh, you can find them on Amazon and just search out there on the website too. So, But yeah, I love doing stuff like this, podcasts and, and the consulting. And you have your own podcast. I own a business, E-Y-E. See what we did there? Yes. I own a business. I see it. You see it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I this guy is, is a hero to me. I know I say this to you, but but the, the amount of information, the content that you're producing in your book, 
I gave the example of uh, my associate who was billing X number of dollars, read your book twice, maybe three times, took his dog out for a walk, listening to your podcast, and multiplied his revenue per day. It is, wow. it is inspirational, it's transformative, and it works. The best investment that, uh, and I've given a copy to every one of my, uh, That's amazing. Every one of my doctors. So highly recommend uh, to listen to his podcast, read his book, and uh, you know, reach for the stars. I don't have a podcast. Uh, I am not a public speaker. I am in the trenches. I love what I do. Um, I'm an optometry savant. That's about, that's about it. That's what my wife calls me. Um, at the end of the day, I think we have, we are in the best profession. Uh, I'm so glad that I followed my dad's footsteps. I believe in this profession. You got to put the work in. You got to be passionate. You have to be laser focused. But you can reap the rewards and, and really help a lot of people. I love that. Thank you very much, optometry savant. And I think you know we we get caught up in the fact that obviously I'm one of those people. I'm very prom present online, right? I'm, I'm doing a lot of social media and podcasts, all these things. And especially with the younger generations, it's a lot about what you see online is like sort of becomes reality, but we, I'm sure we all understand at a deeper level that just because you're not online doesn't mean you're not successful. In fact, a lot of times it's the other way around, right? The person who's not online, the person who's just grinding and doing the work in the trenches, like you said, is the one who's, who's really winning in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, thank you for coming on to share your insight. So as a reminder, we are at the River Rock Casino in Richmond, BC at the OSI, um, OSI Group Western Summit. And the reason I'm here is not just to be here, uh, which I am often, uh, but I'm actually, our office, Clarity Eye Care, is we're new members of the OSI Group, newly minted actually just a few days ago. And it just so happened that this meeting was happening here in Vancouver. So it worked out perfectly for me to come and not only see these amazing guys, but also just network within the OSI Group. So um, also one more time to remind you that this is the first in a long series. I imagine it's going to be a long series of amazing episodes with amazing guests covering lots of amazing topics in this collaboration between the 2020 podcast and the Academy of Ophthalmic Education. I want to thank Mr. Ali Khan at AOE for helping me put this collaboration together. And I look forward to bringing out tons more content. Thank you, as always, for tuning into the 2020 podcast, Canada's number one optometry podcast. I will see you guys again in the next episode.